0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Lucy, the new Luc Besson film starring Scarlett Johansson. And joining me in the Slate studio in New York is Sam McDougall. Hello, Sam. Hey. You are a neuroscience grad student at Princeton. That's right. So impressive. (laughs) Uh, And you are also a former um, Slate Culture Fest intern.
2: I am. In fact, I'm just realizing I'm joined by
1: two former Slate Culture Fest interns. Also with me is Forrest Wickman, a writer for Slate. And uh, yes, our very first Cult Fest intern back in the day. Local boys make good. Here we go. (laughs) So we are here to talk about Lucy. Uh, and we brought Forrest in at the last minute because unlike Sam and I he actually liked it. So let's go around the table really quick and give like the thumb drive, the sparkly thumb drive reaction and uh, and then get into the spoiling. Forrest, you wanted to come in to defend Lucy.
0: Yeah, I I, I I'm one strong sparkly thumb drive up. I uh <laughs> I I suspect we probably all felt somewhat similarly about the movie. I will of course it is totally preposterous. I found it really wonderfully preposterous. I think it's just kind of this like Batshit acid trip of a movie that I found completely enjoyable, just kind of like full of visual ideas. Uh, there's been a few movies um, in this genre of like, you know, p- person using all of their brain and transcending humanity, including um, Limitless. Limitless is probably the most obvious one. And then there was just that movie Transcendence, which I actually haven't seen. But <laughs> unlike most of the, un- unlike something like Limitless, this movie just took. That premise as far as it could possibly go into total, you know, Matrix territory combined with like 2001 or Tree of Life ish sequences that I really enjoyed. And so I just thought it was like a crazy fun trip that was often legitimately funny as well, we should say, in addition to sometimes being but, unintentionally I mean, funny. I would, I
1: would argue unintentionally funny. In fact, witlessness was one of, the, one of my bigger problems Ooh, with it. I'm going totally, to totally disagree.
0: humorless. Let me disagree. skip over to Sam.
1: I think, so,
2: I think there was we're, some good slapstick maybe. But, I'm realizing yeah. that
1: we're all going to attribute the same aesthetic qualities to this movie. We're just going to value them differently <laughs> on our own value it's scales. All right. right, Sam, can you attack?
2: I left the movie and thought it was like a 10% dud and then it's dudley or dudliness, festered overnight. And, and started now to expand it's 100%. into 100%. It's reached 100% dud in my mind. Oh, I, will say, I
1: will say that it did kind of keep me nailed to my chair, not because I cared about the character at all, and I really want to get into how much I disliked this right. main character, but because I couldn't imagine, as you say, Forrest, what batshit thing the movie was going to do next and how... It, incredibly unexplained. Each new absurd plot twist would be... So so we should get into the story a little bit. As is obvious if you've seen any of the ad campaign for this, it is, in fact, sort of a neuroscience movie, which is part of why I wanted to have Sam in to talk about it. And its premise is that Scarlett Johansson's character, Lucy, um, how can we get through this quickly, is accidentally dosed, or not accidentally. She is uh, made, against her will, into a drug mule for this Korean drug lord, right, operating out of Taipei. He's played by Choi Min-sik.
2: suspiciously Breaking Bad-esque drug. It's true.
1: Blue, blue, it is blue, blue and
0: yet they keep referring to it as a powder for that was right, just an inexplicable I thing yeah. number one of <laughs> very many about this movie. But it moves so quickly, I have to say that, it, it, like you said, it just it's an eighty-nine minute movie, and it just keeps moving. Sort of like that movie mm-hmm. Crank from a few years ago. That it just didn't bother me when there was a preposterous thing.
2: Well, there's one there. criticism you cannot lay on it. It's that it's predictable,
0: which yeah. it's not.
1: I guess not but I mean it's it's ideas are predictable the moments that it thinks it's the smartest okay. are the mo- are the dumbest basically all right so so she gets uh, sort of kidnapped by this Korean drug lord, and has this pouch of blue crystal something sewn into her abdomen. The idea being that she and three other guys—I don't know why it's four men and one woman—I don't know if those guys were also kidnapped. We Who don't know much supposed about to the province event. That's right, it's because she's switch. carrying right. She's carrying a briefcase for her boyfriend, who's slaughtered early on. So they all have these pouches sewn into their abdomens, and they're supposed to be sent back to their respective home countries where presumably some other drug lord will reach in and take out the drugs and they'll (laughs) be done. But Scarlett Johansson is accidentally dosed with this drug when she's kicked in the stomach by a guard where she's being kept prisoner, right? So these crystals disperse through her body with the result that somebody else take it from there.
2: With the result that she can now time travel? I guess <laughs> no. Can, but That's only right. to be fair.
0: This is only when she reaches one hundred percent. She right. can time travel. Right. She can alter the laws of physics. <laughs> and move. Right. But instantly, <laughs> as soon Chinese. as she's
1: dosed, and here is one of the places the movie started to lose me. Which I guess Forrest, you're going to say, well, I just love the sheer loopy n- nonsensicality of this. But the minute she's dosed, and she's only what a few percentage more above her ten percent, and we will get Sam into the absurdity of the whole ten percent of your brain premise in the first place. But as soon as she's dosed, she can climb on the ceiling and defy the laws of gravity, and she also becomes super strong. I mean, why exactly there's some neuron in your brain that allows you to suddenly have no more mass and weight is never really clarified.
0: Well, I mean, so it's in Morgan Freeman's lecture. I mean, this is a convention... Didn't this take is notes? this is a convention, right? <laughs> this is a convention of all. I don't know. This was in powder. This is in all of these movies, and I've just accepted it as sort of its own little sci-fi subgenre that has zero basis in reality, but is fun for fantasy. The same way, you know, some uh, as far as I'm concerned, like she could have been an alien, and it would have been just as fun. Or, or Harry he, Potter, she basically wizard. is a superhero. Yeah. So if you just kind of buy it as just it's magic, whatever, um, then it's fun. I, I think we should. Uh, convey just how crazy the opening ten minutes of this movie are, which is that we have the Morgan Freeman lecture, which admittedly is kind of a heavy-handed way of laying out the world. It's the, the ultimate of expository
1: cutaway. The ultimate, like we have no idea who Morgan Freeman is, what he has to do yeah. with this story of drugs and min Sick and Scarlett Johansson. We just go to a lecture hall at a university where Morgan Freeman is finger wagging. I, I, I
2: love the like plot uh, referencing
0: meatball questions that all the students ask him during his lecture. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're In different accents. Yeah, it's like, like different international accent. inquisition.
0: So, but at the same time as we're cutting between that and Scarlett Johansson, we're also cutting between Scarlett Johansson and like some cheetahs on the African savanna who are yeah. going after some antelopes, which makes this like, a, you know, clear parallel that she's the antelope and she's about to get devoured by all these cheetahs. And there's another one where like when she finds out about. Uh, the money they cut between that and a mouse that just discovered some cheese. And it's completely ridiculous. And I, I, I don't think that uh, we're going to resolve this question of how intentionally versus not intentionally ridiculous it was. But I do think it's just like a very kind of light tone. Uh, and I found that very fun. It got laughs in the theater. Um and I think that, to me, that was intentional and fun, and I enjoyed it. And at it was also point, it at was that just point like, I was
1: still forgiving the movie and saying, "Where are they going to go with these animal cutaways?" And we haven't mentioned that yeah. the very first shot in the movie is this very oh, right. sort of Planet of the Apes style um, prehistoric ape woman who's supposed 2001, to be. really.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was the reference. I mean, I think the light tone was there in the first fifteen minutes, and yeah, I was forgiving the movie; I was with it, and then it went away. Right then, she gets kidnapped, and it becomes very and then somber. It threatens sexual violence, and things yeah. get dark. And then it kind of stays dark and somber until maybe some slapstick later on. But I think it's—I think that light tone just fell out from under it. I mean, Forrest, on.
1: do you contest? There's like a lot of philosophical self-seriousness to this movie as it goes on, and as she starts to access deeper parts of her brain. There's a lot of moments where you know we're supposed to be looking into the future of humanity, and it's sort of trying to ask big sci-fi questions, but in the dumbest, knuckle-dragging way.
0: Uh, clearly, you guys were not using hundred <laughs> percent of your brain. One plus one does not equal two there 's another line where she says something like she talks to the talks about maybe maybe i 'm wrong, and this is actually scientific. Maybe Sam can tell me, but she talks about the in, infinite capacity of the nucleus or something it 's like there are many lines yes. the one plus one does not equal two line is sort of the quintessentially ridiculous line. There no, that, are was, no that, numbers. Was, numbers. that there was nonsense. Are no, no, no there are no letters. numbers. There are no letters. No, that was also nonsense. I mean, it, it was all nonsense, which is fine. You
2: don't want to be that science guy wet blanket <laughs> to come along. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson, when he tweeted after gravity, gravity. and mentioned all the little inconsistencies and in physical inconsistencies right. in gravity. I mean, everyone was like, come on. Yeah, Wait, we,
1: we did not bring you in to be that guy, to be Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> but I do want you to talk you, now, if you want to, about, about the 10% myth and and how that's really taken hold in the culture. I feel like people go around just assuming that that is a meaningful statistic, that we use 10% of our brains.
2: Yeah, this, this myth is surprisingly persistent. And I think it has, there's sort of a self-help-y vibe to it. And I think when you mix bullshit about science with self-help, you get a particularly nasty tincture of nonsense that lasts for a long time (laughs) and this one just won't die so like the left brain right way right brain one won't die that if you're using your right brain more you're a creative person your left brain you're a mathematician or something um i don't mind a a science fiction movie basing itself on nonsense science that's that's common but i think if you're gonna have a science science character morgan freeman is this neuroscience uh luminary character you're going to have that. And you're also going to constantly make very Googleable mistakes. Like he says several times that life is a billion years old. Just Google it. It's three and a half billion, <laughs> three and a half to four billion years old. Just edit that line. You know, it, it's just a constant flow of self seriousness and an attempt to say something philosophically. Interesting. I mean, I think the movie is attempting to say something about humanity. There's the Times Square going back in time from Times Square. Right. There's a time travel
1: sequence that we should get into. But so the idea is that as she accesses, right, we actually see legends on the screen. We'll see 10 percent, 20 percent, slowly growing up to 100 mm percent, always with, you know, ominous music with each one. And and the sense, I guess, I mean, it's talking of self-help is that she's supposed to be growing and becoming sort of greater and stronger and bigger and better. But to me, and this gets to really the heart of what I didn't like about this movie, she just gets more and more boring. I really disliked this character of Lucy. She had no fragility. She had no vulnerability. She had no thought process that we could see, and she never tried to help anyone or use her 100% brain capacity for any greater good. Essentially, her goal, 100% of the time in the movie, was to to procure First, more of the blue crystal so that she could keep her revenge eye going. Oh, yeah, revenge, kill, like wipe out everybody who kidnapped her, which is somewhat understandable, right? I mean, in the sure. context of this movie, of course she's going to go try to wipe out the Korean drug gang. But for the rest of the movie, all she is trying to do is either procure more blue crystal or basically sort of augment her own powers. There's not any sense whatsoever of her larger goal.
0: Uh, I almost completely agree with you. I do think she has one larger goal, which is that basically she becomes very afraid. And yeah, she loses all contact with her humanity, which makes her not a very relatable uh, main character. But the one goal, she calls up Morgan Freeman's character and she kind of asks him what she should do if she's just going to die in 24 hours. And so he tells her that the basically the purpose... Of life uh, for all of the history of life has been to pass down information, like whether through DNA in a cell or culture or through yeah culture and there 's actually a really cool montage i don 't remember if it's i think it 's earlier on where they just like flash between all of the accomplishments of man all at once <laughs> and it shows like. Uh, the Apollo 11 launch and, I don't know, the Louvre and then it just shows, like, a guy dissolving a Rubik's Cube. Rubens Cube
1: <laughs> which I think image.
0: this is a good example of why I think this movie is totally in on its own ridiculousness, and that was a great example of it having a, a successful light tone, I would argue. Um, so, yeah, I think that becomes her goal. Like, the rest of the movie, in addition to her having revenge, is her trying to seek out Morgan Freeman so that she can try to make some meaning of her absurd situation and pass down that information. Which and it's basically a chase does. sequence from there Which on. she
1: finally does in the form of the sparkly thumb drive that of we course. referenced up top, which is probably my favorite dumb moment in the movie and I guess is supposed to be legitimately ridiculous.
2: Okay, I think that's a gag. But
1: after she has turned her super consciousness because she's reached 100% at the end into this kind of like organic computerized goo that kind of takes over the room that she's sitting in, this lab, and I guess transfers all of her knowledge, you know, onto this goo computer. <laughs> this goo arm <laughs> reaches out toward Morgan Freeman because Scarlett Johansson and is basically done for. She's become like the cloud. She's everywhere. And, and hands him this little thumb drive, like a little USB port drive that for some reason has like sparkling stars on it. It looks like a Lisa Frank designed <laughs> thumb drive. I just love that that's what all of human knowledge comes down to.
2: But you didn't tell him which driver to download. So now <laughs> all of human knowledge is in your thumb drive and it's not. you're not going to get it.
0: So uh, I guess one way I would maybe... F- uh frame this movie differently which is actually related to a question i have about the movie so i i missed like the first 30 seconds of this movie and i think was uh
1: did you see no lucy more Day?
0: disoriented than i would have been otherwise by the beginning of this movie right so that's lucy that well, there's early human right right i think that's basically what i missed and then uh, so i walked in and there was just an early human on screen which was very disorienting and unexpected um is that supposed to be Lucy? Do they ever say it's Lucy the mm-hmm. Australopithecus or whatever? Uh, yeah,
2: Australopithecus afarensis. It's supposed to be this famous fossil from the 70s. At one point, her boyfriend early in the first dialogue says, oh, Lucy, like the first woman, okay. which is another totally wrong description of something, but that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, that's what she's supposed to be named after. And that's who she
0: has the E.T. moment with. Later. Oh, course. right, which reenacts the Michelangelo's exactly. like creation of Adam from the Sistine Chapel. It which was we've awesome. already seen
1: because that appeared in the montage of human right. accomplishments. Of
0: course. Um, so, part of the reason I wanted to ask that is so ostensibly that's the reason that this movie is named Lucy is because there's the main character is named Lucy, but also it's you know referring back to evolution and one of the earliest.
1: The idea th- being that she's, the, she's the new woman, right? I mean, she that she's right. some some new form of life will start and depart from her. But I'm just this is just me reading it because the movie is not really smart enough to explore any of that. I'm also just thinking right now of all the parallels with her. This is sort of like a really bad, dumb version of her, basically, yeah. where Scarlett Johansson sort of becomes everything and everywhere and. moves beyond the rest of us.
0: Super intelligence. And under the skin, too. I mean, Scarlett Johansson just plays, like, the deadly woman, transcendent Right.
1: I mean, it's like Under the Skin in the sense that she is this kind of machine like automaton with no feelings. But in Under the Skin, that's very interesting because you actually feel for her. She's an alien trying to adjust. You know, she appears to be emotionless because she comes from this radically different place and is trying to accomplish these goals. I mean, I felt like in Under the Skin, she played someone that you could identify with and understand as as alien and strange as she was. In Lucy, I wanted her to die 100% (laughs) of the time. And it's not Scarlett Johansson's fault. It's just a horrible character.
0: I don't know if I related with the Under the Skin character as much, but that's, I guess, a separate conversation so the the reason i wanted to bring up so this movie is ostensibly named after that early human however i think it's actually or additionally just a reference to acid right like this movie is a drug movie i I mean it's sort of an action comedy it was advertised as a sci-fi but i think it's mostly just like a total trip and that's part of where the 2001 stuff comes in so you Uh, mean like lucy in the sky with diamonds yeah which is is is
2: actually why, why australopithecus afarensis is called lucy Because, yeah, the uh, anthropologist who found the bones...
1: Was a total stoner?
0: They named it that and played
2: the song a bunch of times. (laughs) I don't know if he was a stoner, but...
0: Yeah, so, I mean, this this movie I thought was just like a fun trip movie. And, and, And in that framing, I did not, you know, care whether it was actually profound or not. It was just like an experience that sort of seems vaguely profound at the time and then it ends and you're like, oh, wow, that realization I had was completely stupid. But it was fun. Maybe if
1: you high it would seem profound.
2: You don't want a dumb, trippy movie to keep trying to be smart and failing at it. That's what frustrated me about it. And I but think, Speaking if you of think drugs,
1: it, why did no one ever ask if she was on drugs? Right, which her, her mom sort of on Yeah, she calls her mother from the operating table where she's literally killed a man in the middle of his surgery in order to shove him over, jump unwashed onto the table and <laughs> for some reason at gunpoint get the surgeon to operate on her to take out the pouch of drugs. But at that moment, she calls her mother. It's sort of the last vestige of emotion, basically, before yeah. she becomes a total automaton and has this really trippy, intense conversation with her mother where she says things like, I can still taste your milk in my mouth. She's remembering all of her childhood. It at once. It's kind of cool, the conversation. But her mother doesn't have the most obvious response, which is, honey, are you on drugs what right are now? What you yeah. Especially because the conversation begins with her mother saying, I hope you haven't been partying too much. And, there's, and also her first conversation with Morgan Freeman, that seemed like a very natural line of inquiry. Like, is this woman who called me up out of the blue and says that she's using you know, 100% of her brain capacity or will soon be high and or schizophrenic? But Morgan Freeman never asks that question. Well, enough. because she
0: like, hacks into his TV or whatever. That's
1: how she convinces yeah. him, right? Sorry, Sam, what were you going to say a second ago?
0: Well, I was thinking about
2: uh, The Fifth Element, which Luc Vassant also wrote and directed, which is a 1997 sci-fi movie starring Bruce Willis and Mia Jovovich. Right. Yeah. And I love that movie. I guess I was 11 when it came out. I still love it. Um, and it has that light, trippy tone. It's a total acid trip, the whole movie. But it maintains humor all the time. Chris Tucker has that amazing cameo. And right. Bruce Willis, of course, I think is the one of the few action stars with great comedic timing. And this movie just was—the only laughs I had, aside from a few moments in the beginning that were supposed to be funny, were at, were at the movie. And it really—it didn't feel like the movie was ever in on the joke. It really always felt like the movie was trying to kind of make a college dorm conversation start afterwards. Like, what is what is technology mean? Are we slaves to our 10% brains? And if we were using 100%, could we be, you know, the amazing quantum physics genius creature that Scarlett Johansson becomes? And I just couldn't shake that annoying kind of didactic element of it.
1: I just felt like it didn't create a consistent enough fake scientific world the way The Matrix completely does, right? I mean, The Matrix has this whole elaborate world-building scheme where, you know, as as faux profound as you may think its insights are, it does inspire legitimate dorm room conversations afterwards. This movie kind of left you with nothing to chew on. It's just a story of Scarlett Johansson becoming better than the rest of us. It didn't seem like it had anything to say about that future world. In fact, I was saying to Sam as we were coming out, is is Lucy too, just Scarlett Johansson being some kind of dictator ruling (laughs) over the world? I mean, we have no idea what her concept of justice or mercy or community is. You know, she's just kind of this this monster. It
2: was a hilarious moment where she's in the car with the cop, the French cop character, and they got start getting chased by a bunch of other police. And she says, and he says, you want me to get them off our tail? Uh, presumably he could radio in and say, don't follow us. And she says, no, I'll take care of it. And proceeds to you know essentially kill them all right by like cause, their farms. cause
1: massive traffic accidents by driving the wrong way around the Arc de Triomphe, like for no reason I mean basically she shows at no point any sense that anyone deserves to live except for her
0: i don 't think we see her kill anyone like so you mentioned the, the I thought very funny. Bit earlier where she shoots the patient. I mean, you need to have a dark sense of humor and kind of low expectations (laughs) to enjoy this movie, I think. But where she shoots the patient who's in the middle of surgery, and at the time it was like, "Whoa, what was that?" And then she later says, "Like, oh, he he was going to die anyway." Yeah, she
2: looked at. Of course, she would know. She looked at the X-ray and she knew that his uh, brain tumor had or like
0: inside because she can see anywhere. I mean, if effectively you're God, like you know who's (laughs) going to die. I thought it was funny. I would still
1: argue that his loved ones might. sue the hospital after that. Ah, He was going to die anyway.
0: Did you guys not love that chase sequence, though? Because admittedly, it didn't make a lot of sense. And there was a lot of destruction, though. I don't think anyone was killed. But it was just kind of it took the average chase sequence that you've seen a bunch of times and just kind of went took it further than any other you'd seen before i mean it seemed like probably pretty much the entire chase sequence was cgi because there's no other way that it could have you know so successfully just had every car miss every other car by only a hair's width but i had never seen that before and i thought it was fun to watch and it was i think the action sequences in general in this movie are pretty inventive and fun and have a sort of light tone, as we've been arguing about. Another example I'll give is when she walks into this room, it's a scene sort of similar to a lot of scenes you've seen before, um, that's just kind of full of baddies, and she's, like, staring at all of them at once. And then she just kind of sends them all flailing so that they're kind of punching into the air and just narrowly missing her and looking really pathetic in a way that made the audience laugh. Right. And I thought was very funny. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Well... But one problem is you want a little bit of tension in your action sequences. It's like The Matrix is a great example. The Matrix is Neo versus Mr. Smith and they're kind of equal in power. They can both manipulate the environment. So you you know you, you the Neo gets beaten up a lot and it's this there's some tension. But in Lucy she's just constantly in complete control. Yeah, I
1: agree. It's so much it is kind of I mean the idea of pinning those guys to the ceiling and then making them punch the air. I could see that being the climax to an action sequence, but she is so immediately and perfectly in control of all of her physical environment that she just ends up being to me a, a boring superhero who's not who's not she there's no texture in the world that she's fighting against.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this movie has much suspense and the stakes are sort of missing it does at least make her powers continue to escalate throughout the movie and then i think i think just like it gets by on its kind of sheer just on the strength of like the speed of its editing this the music is really great i think we should mention music it's this is great. weird electronic score by this guy eric sarah who's um done all the On scores or a lot of them and it's just really propulsive and fun and I think helps keep up the pulse of this movie which just kind of keeps growing faster in a way that made me fine uh, with not like worrying whether Scarlett Johansson was going to die because that's not what I was watching for I was watching for like how far is this movie going to go you know how crazy are her powers going to get and that did kind of keep building in a way that I found entertaining.
1: Should we talk about the time travel montage at the very end? Because it is sort of a strange moment where Terence Malick <laughs> crops up in the midst of a, of a Luc Besson movie. So after she's reached, or when she's at 99% or something, she's just in some crazy zone of, you know, starting to connect to essentially the whole universe and kind of be this this omnipresent force. And then while sitting in an office chair, like Aero-style um, computer chair, she suddenly starts to travel back in time. I can't even tell if she's choosing to do this or not. But then we see her sort of zipping around the world to various places and then starting to move In, back ti- in Times Square. Yeah, she's in yeah. Times Square, and then it becomes Times Square, you know, back in the 1800s or something mm. with horses and carriages going by. And then she zooms again back in time. There's and... four
0: Mohawks on their horses exactly. ready for right. war. She's right. on the
1: island of Manhattan pre contact. Which was very Times Square three was very Indians on horseback.
0: And then, And then, you know, Times Square, millions and millions of years ago, was just like a dinosaur that runs at the screen. Right. And then it goes back <laughs> to basically, I think, like the Big Bang. And then maybe to, like, quantum universes or something. This is a level of physics I could not even begin to understand.
1: Yeah, we were trying to figure out what that planetary shot is, which is very Tree of Life-like and and seems to be showing some event that's either the end of the world or the beginning of the world. So, you know, it's sort of implied that she's become this sort of godlike figure who can see see through time and space.
0: She's the star baby (laughs) from 2001, kind of.
1: All right, we should wrap up, but is there any last, any last observation that you want to make about, about Lucy and whether or not you would send folks there?
0: Uh, so just one thing that I found interesting after sitting through the credits um, about those kind of traveling through time nature sequences where she kind of swipes through time like it's an iPad or something.
1: Right. She can just reach out into space and swipe her way to a different century. Yeah.
0: Tinder. Right. <clears throat> um, she keeps swiping left. I reject and this reality. She gets the dinosaur and swipe left. Um, um, so all that nature footage, or I guess a lot of it is taken from those movies, Baraka and Samsara, the like nature, arty nature documentaries, um, which explains why a lot of it is pretty, pretty cool. Um, and is just another aspect of how this, you know, ostensible blockbuster action movie is just kind of playing with all sorts of different, you know, cinematic techniques and, and just kind of throwing out the rule book and 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 putting the the kitchen sink out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, the throwing. I have to agree about throwing out the rule book. The problem is that I feel like it sort of also threw out the, the plot logic and caring about the character's book. I just feel like it threw out the smartness book. And as a result, I was not able to get on board with the dumbness. It wasn't dumbness in the service of smartness. It was just dumbness for its own sake. What about you, Sam? A final thought and a uh, warning away?
2: This pro- will probably, be, hopefully, be my final thought about this movie. <laughs> but um, being, well, first to get the wet blanket thing out of the way, I did write something for The Atlantic about why the 10% of the brain myth, where it might come from and why it's such nonsense. Um,
1: My favorite moment of which is where you compare the brain to pudding.
2: Right. Yeah. People think what, what do people think the other 90% of your brain is some kind of like smelly stagnant pudding with little fruit flies surrounding it.
1: That's uh, a movie I would see.
2: <laughs> not being the Neil deGrasse Tyson wet blanket is a good thing to be, but at some point there's some line you cross in a science fiction movie where you try to have some air of serious scientific basis to the, uh, to the plot. And if you just Google a few things, you can get a few of the, a few more of those things right. And actually, maybe weave something together where someone says, that is something I actually know about dolphins and sonar was one example that they kind of screwed up. But, well, oh, that is something kind of interesting. Like, dolphins do have this cool sense that we don't have. And what would it be like to somehow unlock the biological capability of this sense, which is absurd, but at least it would be based in something a little more uh, tangible. And I think that Throwing out that, again, throwing out the character in emotion rule book is what killed the movie. But I also think it could have been better if it didn't totally throw out the little bit of sanity book.
1: Well, because then it ceases to be sci-fi and is basically fantasy, which is a different kind of genre. You know, one that doesn't, doesn't hang on to Like Star of-
2: Wars or something. And it, but it should feel that way. Fantasy should... Fantasy has a feeling to it that is... There's a light... Harry Potter, Star Wars, any of these movies have a, like a light feeling to it. And this movie never went there. It tried to do realism at the same time, I think, with those early scenes, and it just never really clicked.
1: All right. Well, I guess based on this, people are going to have to decide. I mean, it, it really is what I suspected. We all saw the same movie. We all sort of perceived it even in the same way. And we just put a different valuation spin on it. So you just have to go, go see it for yourself. All right. Thanks for coming in to spoil with me, you guys. Thanks, Tina. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered JumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>